Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. We saw just a moment ago a quick promo for the sermon series we're going to begin next Sunday called An Appeal to Heaven, and I am really excited about that. You are not going to want to miss it. I feel like it's um, just very timely for us as a church and even as a nation, and uh, so we'll be really excited. But today is the last Sunday of our More Than a Story series. We have been walking through different stories in the Gospels, looking at the life of Jesus, and our hope has been this, that we would see them as more than fairy tales or just the stuff of Sunday school, that we would realize that they were real stories, they happened to real people, And then if we allow them to, they have the power to change our lives today. Of all the stories that we've looked at in this series, this one has the potential probably to be the one that you dismiss as much as any other. Probably to to view as just kind of fanciful or fantasy or have a hard time understanding how this one can be real. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Last week we were in Mark chapter 4. If you remember, the disciples were out in a boat, a big storm blew in, and while the disciples were in the storm, Jesus was in the back of the boat, and he was sleeping, like some of you right now. And so he woke up, calmed the storm, and we talked last week about Jesus calms the storm in our lives. On the tail end of this storm they come across another encounter that they did not expect. And it reminds us that sometimes when you get through one storm, you shouldn't expect that there won't be another one coming, right? Does anybody remember the tornadoes Wednesday night? There's storms that come, things that we didn't expect. In the midst of them, we should not be fearful. Instead, we should realize that God may be giving us an opportunity. So let's jump in. Mark chapter five, beginning with verse one, here's what we read. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now that's, that's important. Mark chapter 5 verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. What's important about that is they've crossed across the Sea of Galilee out of Jewish territory. Jesus and his disciples were all Jews. That was the land. That was the world. Those were the religious customs they knew. When they got to the other side of the lake, they were in what was called the Decapolis, which was a region of 10 cities. So Decapolis, 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 10 cities, and these 10 cities were largely pagan. These weren't Jewish people. Different customs, different standards. It was a little bit different for them. Watch what happens in verse 2. Mark chapter 5, verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. That's quite a greeting, isn't it? Jesus gets out of the boat right near the cemetery, and who comes out but a madman? He has an impure spirit. If you read other places in Mark's gospel, he uses some different words to describe people with the same condition. That impure spirit is a demon. And the word that he uses in other parts of his gospel is that they're possessed. So Jesus shows up, he gets out of the boat, and who comes to greet him but a man possessed by a demon? Which causes us to ask a pretty interesting question. Are demons real? A survey that was done about three years ago or so asked people, about a thousand people here in the United States about the existence of the devil and demons, their activity, how that functions in our society. And about 40% of our society doubts the existence of the demonic. We'd rather just kind of push it away. 
We'd rather not deal with it because we're not always comfortable with things that we can't see. Isn't that true? And so as a result, what happens is we, we can begin to dismiss this or not think about these things. But the scripture makes it very clear that there is evil influence. There are demons. There is demonic activity in the world around us. It starts here. We know that we have an enemy called the devil. Oftentimes, you'll hear us quote a scripture around here, John 10.10. 10. It says that Jesus came to give life and life to the full. Our vision here at Calvary is to see people experience life change through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the reason that life is so important is because on the opposite side of that, you have an enemy who wants to steal life from you. Look at the beginning of John 10.10. It says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Do you know who the thief is? It's the devil. It's Satan. It's the adversary. It's the enemy of your souls. Satan was a fallen angel. He, he and other angels rebelled against God. And when they did, God had to force them out of heaven. We read about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, where Peter writes, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Now look, when, when we talk about demonic activity, it raises all kinds of questions. In, in truth, a lot of questions that we can't answer. There's a lot of places where we ask these questions and the Bible doesn't really fill in the blanks. And we can be tempted to begin to try to figure it out on our own. We wanna to try to work it out on our own. We wanna understand it all for ourselves. I think sometimes when the Bible doesn't tell us something, it doesn't tell us for a reason. And the reason the Bible doesn't tell us because God doesn't want us to be fascinated with evil. Does that make sense? Instead, he wants us to rely on what we know, and we know this, that there is a devil, he does have demons, and they're bad. Jesus encountered them. In fact, he encountered individuals, not just in, in Mark chapter five, but in other places, who were possessed of the devil. We, we read about it in Mark chapter one, verse 32, where it says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. There are times when people can be possessed of a demon, where that demon will, in a very powerful way, take over their personality, take over their actions, and will control that individual. They will possess them. Basically, that demon takes up residence in that person's existence. And that's not the only time when we encounter demons. The reality is that there are people who are still possessed today. You'll hear stories of that from missionaries in faraway lands. You'll hear about it from those who do frontline ministry in fact, over the years at Calvary, have encountered instances similar to this in different ways, in different manners. We have to recognize this, though, that even though you might not see outright demonic possession, there is demonic influence that is taking place in the world all around us. What's it look like? Well, let's see what it looked like here. Mark chapter 5, verse 3. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So this raises some interesting points. How do demons influence humans? How do demons have an influence on humans? I think some of the traits that we see of how the demon influenced this man's life are things that we'll also see of demonic influence in our culture. Just to hit a couple of things real quick, sometimes there is a fascination with the dead and the impure. Where did this guy live? Does anybody remember? In the tombs. He lived in the cemetery. 
He had this fascination with things that were dead. And to the Jewish people in particular, to touch something that was dead would make you unclean. It would make you ritually impure. There was this fascination with the dead and the impure. There was also a lack of morality. We don't clearly read about it until later in, in Mark chapter 5, but in Luke chapter 9, or Luke chapter 8, excuse me, where we see the same story, it says this in verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. He had no sense of decency. And oftentimes, we'll see that in our own culture, won't we? The reality is, that's an influence not from God, but from evil. We also see destructive behavior on this man's part. He was supernaturally strong because of the demons that had taken up residence inside of him, that they would try to chain him hand and foot. What would he do? He'd just break free. He had this crazy supernatural strength. The purpose of the strength was to bring destruction, mostly on himself. It says he would cut himself. And that kind of activity, even when we see it today, are things that are influenced by the evil in the world and the culture around us. Now, just because somebody responds in a certain way does not mean they are possessed. I think that's, that's important to talk about. But you need to clearly understand that when we see some of these behaviors in our society, are they from God? No, they're induced by evil. One last thing that you see is just a restlessness that he has. He has this restlessness where he moves around day and night just calling out, crying out. He cannot find any peace. Understand this. The goal of the demon is to destroy whatever it can of God's creation. What's this demon trying to do here? Destroy this guy? That's the ultimate to bring destruction on God's creation. Look at verse six of Mark chapter five. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So watch what happens here. Jesus says to the the demon, come out of this man. And this demon pushes back. You don't see this really anywhere else in the Gospels. Usually when Jesus casts a demon out, the demon comes out. Might be with a little bit of a struggle. Might throw the person on the ground. But what happens here is this demon kind of pushes back. He says, what do we have to do with each other? What do you want with me? I don't want any trouble with you. Just, just leave me alone is basically what he's saying. He's, he's pushing back against Jesus. This isn't so much a battle of, of powers. This is desperation on the part of this demon, isn't it? He falls on his knees before Jesus. Do you know why? Not out of worship, but out of understanding that there's someone there that's more powerful than him. Have you ever met somebody bigger than you? Do you pick a fight with them? No, you tell them how happy you are to see them, right? That's what he's doing here. He's saying, look, I recognize that you have more power than I do. What do we have to do with each other? I don't want any trouble from you. And he kind of pushes back against Jesus. What's ironic is this, that the demon recognizes the son of God before any of the other people do, including his own disciples. Because there are things going on in the spiritual world that we're not always aware of. Let's go back to our story. Mark chapter five, verse nine. Mark chapter five, verse nine. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I've heard a teaching in the past that if you want to get control over a spirit of some kind, that you have to know the, the spirit's name. You have to kind of call it out and then you get some kind of control. And sometimes they'll take it based on this, this example of Jesus here that when Jesus spoke to the demon, he said, what, what is your name? The reality is, this is the only time in scripture that you see Jesus do this. He cast demons out on multiple occasions. You read about it all throughout the gospels. But in this instance, Jesus asks for the demon's name. I don't think he did this because he needed to get control over the demon. It wasn't for control, it was for us so that Jesus would help us to see what was going on in this story. That there's more going on here. Did Jesus already have control? He absolutely did. Remember last week in the storm? He has power over the natural and the supernatural. But when he says, what is your name? He reveals something about this man and this situation that is crazy. The man says, my name is Legion. When Ron and I first got married, we'd been married, I don't know, maybe six, nine months, something like that. And she came to me one day with this little look in her eye. And she says, you know, I think it's time that we start a family. And I went, oh no. She's like, I think we should get a cat. And I said, praise God, praise God. Yes, a cat is a great idea and will buy me some time. That's awesome, that's awesome. So we bought this cat, Cody the cat. And the cat was awesome, loved me, really loved Rhonda, hated everybody else, this cat. And we lived at at one point in this apartment when we were living in Milwaukee. And when you would walk in the door of the apartment, there was this long hallway that would go from the front door all the way back to the very back of the apartment. Everything kind of went off of that and and had this just kind of this long hallway. Well, oftentimes a friend of mine who was on staff at the same church, we lived right in the same neighborhood, we would carpool into the church together in the mornings. And he would come to the house on his day to drive and he'd pick me up, knock on the door and he'd come in. For whatever reason, this cat hated this guy just hated him. And so whenever he would come to the door, the cat would go to the very end of the hallway away from the door and would stand there and just kind of watch him. And you'd watch his little paws just start to do this and he'd shake his little tail. And he'd wait until my friend wasn't looking at the cat. And when he wasn't looking, that cat would shoot down the hallway, run right up at him, jump in the air and bite him on the hand. That is when we gave the cat the nickname Legion. Because it was like something would possess that cat. Just do crazy things. Except in this guy's life, it wasn't a joke. Do you know what a legion is? A legion was a term used for a a regiment, for a part of the Roman army. It was typically about 6,000 soldiers. So when this guy was referred to as legion, what this meant is there's not just one demon in there. There's probably not even hundreds of demons in there. There's an army of demons taking up residence in this man. He is fully possessed by possibly thousands of demons. That's why they called him Legion. And they beg him, don't send us out of the area. It's a really interesting statement that they make, and it helps us to see this. There are places in the world that are more friendly to demonic influence. Geographic regions, if you will. And sometimes we don't see this, but remember, they've left Jewish territory and they've headed over into pagan territory. They're in Gentile country now. And in Gentile country, all the, the spiritual influence of, of the God's people, the Jews, is, is kind of gone in that place. All bets are off. So of course the demons are more comfortable there. We don't always see this 
because of the world that we live in. For many of us, we've had strong Christian influence in our lives. We've got a strong Christian influence in our country. And so as a result, sometimes we don't sense the, the demonic influence that you would in other parts of the world. But I can tell you that you can see it. You can feel it. You can sense it in different places. Sometimes when you go to a place where there's been more history of demonic activity, sometimes when there's more of a concentration of demonic activity, you will begin to sense that in a certain way. When I was in college, I was about 19, and I went on a, a trip to the, to the country of Ireland for a few months as a part of a, a, an outreach trip that we did there, and we were working with a local church there for a few months. I remember there was, there was four or five of us, and we all stayed in this great big house, and the missionary lived there, and we, we were living in this house, and I remember one night, we'd been there for, for several weeks, that I was laying in bed, and, and I was trying to go to bed that night, and I couldn't fall asleep, because I could feel and sense a tangible, almost like a cloud of fear, like, and I don't know any, any way else to describe it, other than I could feel fear in that room, and no matter what I did, it just, it just, it weirded me out, it freaked me out, I tried to think of other things, I, the, that fear was just there, and kept me awake for the better portion of the night. I was a little embarrassed by that because I'm a man, right? You know, and so I remember getting up that next morning and one of the other members of the team said, how'd you sleep last night? I said, just to be honest with you, not good. Well, how come? I was scared. <laughs> just kind of had this real weird sense of fear. They looked at me and said, me too. I had this real weird experience. And one of the other team members, she says, she says okay, I could hardly sleep last night because I kept having this dream that we were all being murdered. It was this weird thing, like this tangible sense of evil that was in that home that night. And we talked about it with the missionary afterward. And he says, oh yeah, I'm not surprised that you experienced that. He says, you've got to remember, you're not in your Christian homes right now. You're not in your little world that you're used to and that you're safe in. You've got to remember that although for many people believe that Ireland was a Christian nation, it was founded in many ways with Druid practices. There's been a lot of occultic principles, that things that took place, even human sacrifice in places not far from here. So you've got to remember there's times and there's seasons when there is spiritual activity that takes place. And yeah, it's a little scary. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little weird, but it's real. And I only share that with you because I want you to be aware that the things that we talk about are real things. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Because the pigs were there, you know this was a pagan area. Because Jewish people stayed away from pork. They had not yet um, heard that Jesus had made all things clean and been given the gift of bacon, right? That hadn't happened yet. <laughs> and so that, that shows you they're in a pagan area. And I've asked the question when I read this, why would Jesus do that? If he had the chance just to crush these demons, why would he let them go into the pigs? Why would he let this just happen in this way? I think maybe if we think about it, three reasons why Jesus might have ordered pulled pork right here in this moment. <laughs> One was this. He wanted to show that the man had been set free. If the demons went from him into something else, then there was no doubt that he'd been set free. It was also clear to show that these demons have destructive power. What were they set on? Destroying. And ultimately, if people could see, literally see the freedom that came to this man, then they would know that ultimately the one that held all the power was Jesus. Look at verse 14. 
Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Do you know why the ones taking care of the pigs ran off to tell people? Because the ones that were caring for the pigs just watched their job go over the cliff. They're out of work, and the owners are out of money, and they gotta go let people know something really weird is going on here. The saddest part of this whole story is that when the Son of God was right there in front of them, and it actually brought a new sense of freedom to their region, all they could think about was what they had lost. All they could think about was a power they did not understand, and it scared them, so they asked him to leave. Here's seven of the saddest words, I think, in all of Scripture. Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, Get out of here, Jesus. So he left. Understand this. Jesus does not stay where he is not wanted. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I want to just propose for you four principles this morning. Four things that as we look at this story, which is really a pretty fascinating story, that I hope you won't forget as we move on from here today. Four things that I think God would have us to be impacted by as we think of this story. Here's the first one. Number one, demonic influence is real. Demonic influence is real. If you're part of that 40% in our culture that says, yeah, I don't, I don't know, or even more, I would say the number's even higher of those who go, yes, I believe, but I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to talk about it. Out of sight, out of mind. I don't want to know that it's even there. I would challenge you to recognize that demonic influence is real. And as a result, understand this, we must be aware of spiritual warfare. We must be aware of spiritual warfare. What's so interesting about this passage is that this man who's possessed by the demon, the demons, and Jesus can see things. They understand things. They know that there is a challenge and a struggle going on in the world around them that the other people are not aware of. All the people from the village care about is the pigs. We're not even sure if the disciples ever even got out of the boat, right? I know I wouldn't if I was a disciple. I'd be, I'd be down in the bottom of that ship waiting for this thing to blow over, right? Because oftentimes we go, look, I don't want anything to do with that. And the reality is we must be aware of spiritual warfare that takes place around us. We've looked at this several times, but the Bible's very clear. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is spiritual warfare that takes place all around us. Now, let me just encourage you with this first, a little bit of a corrective. 
what I'm not saying to you is to look for the demon that's under every rock. Do you know those people? That any bad thing that happens, the first thing we wanna do is say, well, that's the devil. That's a spiritual attack. That's a bad thing, so it's gotta be the devil. He's out to get me. And sometimes I think we give the devil too much credit. Do you know the storms that came Wednesday night? Some people were like, I think that's the devil sending those storms. No, actually, it's a cold pressure system and a high pressure system that happened to come together, right? That's, I told you I would have been a terrible meteorologist. Terrible. Look, sometimes things just happen in life. We don't blame the devil for everything. The other thing that I want you to get is this, that every time you sin, the devil didn't make you do it. But the reality is this, you do have a foe, you do have an enemy, there is a devil, and he is out to get us. If that's the case, if there is evil influence in the culture and in society and all around us that pulls on us and pushes on us and wants us to give in and walk away from God, what do we do? We must be aware that there's spiritual warfare, and I would challenge you, we must be careful what we allow to influence us. We must be careful what we allow to influence us. You're right, Chad. That's why I don't listen or read anything satanic. Well, good. But what are those other things, those other places where the devil has the chance to kind of weasel his way into your mind, your heart, even into your home? You might not have a, a fascination with evil, but I can tell you this, evil has a fascination with you and it desires to get in and change the way you think any way that it can. Not trying to ruin anybody's fun, but um, every so often I'll talk to somebody and they'll be like, wow, I just, I just can't seem to find peace in life and I'm just kind of restless and I'm troubled and, and um, I can't sleep sometimes at night. And I'll ask, well, what's, what's going on in your life? They start talking about the things that they watch or the things they listen to. Or, you know, sometimes I'll just watch a scary movie and then when I go to bed, I can't seem to find any peace. Hello? <laughs> Hello, right? And our culture has a fascination with evil. Witches, zombies, vampires, perversion. It's everywhere. And I think we just, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be really careful what it is that we let come into our minds what we open up our thoughts to, what we open up our homes to, there are plenty of things that can bring evil influence into our lives. Don't play around with the occult. Monitor what you take in in the name of entertainment because there's no way that you can have a steady diet of godless things and not have it affect your spirit. Isn't that true? We have to be aware of what's going on and we have to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Wednesday night, we had a whole different kind of prayer meeting around here because, you know, Wednesday nights, we have the Bible study that's taking place, we've got the kids' activities, we've got CSM, our youth services all happening, and then about 7.15, the tornado sirens went off. Well, once that happens, you, you just can't do business as usual anymore. So everybody's pulling out their phones, watching the radar, right? I mean, I, just, I saw more people walking around like this in the hallways of the church trying to figure out what was going on, and we had to pull everybody out of the auditoriums, peel people out of the atrium because so much glass in there, and hey, let's go in the hallways. We took all of the, the children and put them in the uh, restrooms because those are the safest parts of the building and, uh, and just knew that that was what we had to do. Our, our children's ministry, our youth ministry staff, did such an awesome job of not just putting our kids in safe. Yeah, you can clap if you want because they did a phenomenal job. I know I never signed up to spend 90 minutes with kids in a bathroom. I didn't, I didn't do that, right? 
So one of the things that's been a blessing for us around here uh, is, is every, every service, we have an officer from the Mommy Police Department who's here and helps us just with a, kind of another level of security and their presence, and they've just been fantastic. And one of the officers was here the other night, and so I thought, man, if anybody's got insight into what's going on, it's, it's probably them, you know? And so I walked up behind him, and when I did, he had his phone out, and he was looking at radar. And I'm like, he's got top-secret government radar. He's got radar of radar, right? I mean, I'm watching this, and I come walking up, and I, like, peek over his shoulder trying to see what he's got. Right there at the top, it says 13 ABC. I'm like, I got that. That's nothing. I got that. You know, and so the storm goes on. You kind of watch it. It was just weird. I don't know if any of you were around or outside. I mean, it was just, it was just weird. It was like this eerie kind of really weird thing going on. And at one point, everybody was kind of starting to kind of chill out a little bit. Because if you looked at the radar, it looked like it had just gone past us. We were, we were good. In fact, people are getting a little restless. Can we, just, can we just move? And so I walked up to the officer and was kind of trying to figure out. And as I walked up, he had, a, he had the little radio on. And he had his radio on. And I came up to see what's going on. And over the radio, I heard, we see a rotation in the clouds right next to uh, St. Luke's Hospital. St. Luke's Hospital, I know where that is. <laughs> That's not far from here. There's some uh, cloud rotation right at Conant and Dussel. Conant and Dussel. Conan Dussel, I know where that is. And, and we looked outside, and you can see it's, you know, kind of moving around, this weird stuff the clouds were doing. And the officer looked at Pastor Keith and I and said, I think we should go inside. I said, I think you're right. So we hustled inside, and people were kind of getting a little bit restless, and we were like, everybody go to the bathrooms. What I refrained from doing was saying, we're all gonna die. I'm over that, all right, I'm over that. I don't do that anymore. That was last week. I've been set free, right? But here's the deal. There were people that were like, we thought everything was good. But see, I'd heard something they hadn't heard. See, I'd gotten close enough to the source of the information to know that there were things that were going on that I couldn't see. You know what that's called? That's called discernment. And we live in a world that's filled with evil. The good news is the Holy Spirit will give you discernment. But you've got to be close enough, you've got to be attentive enough to hear what's going on. Because there's times when I'll get close to things and if I'll listen, I'll hear, Chad, that's not good for you. Over. There's something swirling around there, Chad, that could destroy you. You might want to get safe. Over. Right? But you've got to hear that. You've got to listen to that. And if you're just moving through life or so set on being entertained or just so comfortable with what you're used to, what will happen is you'll miss those voices and destruction will come and you'll never even realize it. Look, there is demonic influence and as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to ask for discernment for heaven's sake. Second thing I'd love for you to see, number two, the power of Jesus is greater than the power of evil. Amen. The power of Jesus is greater than the power of evil. Man, we could, we could park here for the rest of the day. Two things I just want you to see when we talk about this. It's funny because when I talk about this, when you start talking about demonic and, and possession, there's certain people you can just see, you're just kind of like, there's, there's some people you're kind of like, I don't believe in this. But there's other people are just kind of like, I do believe in this and it's scaring me. You get a little frightened, right? Here's the reality. Christians should not fear. We don't need to be afraid. Are those demonic powers real? Yeah, and my best friend conquered them all. That's the hope that we have. Christians 
should not fear. And can I just say this real quick? Because there's weird, there's weird teachings that go around sometimes. And people begin to, I think, just give the demonic more credit than they should. I want you to understand this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are victorious. What scripture say? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus made it very clear that you can't have a home with both Jesus and the devil in it because a house divided is going to fall, right? Matthew chapter 12. Scripture tells us that light and darkness cannot be together. So understand this, a Christian cannot be possessed. A Christian cannot be possessed. And maybe some places, sometimes you've heard different teaching, but scripture's very clear. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's not room for two spirits in there. And so you rest in that fact. Some of you were thinking, I'm grabbing my kid as soon as we're done, and we're gonna have an exorcism in the atrium. And if it goes well, they can have a donut in the cafe on the way out. No, no, no. It's not the way it works. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot be possessed. You can be influenced. You can open up yourself to oppression. But realize greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Third thing that I want you to see tonight from the earth tonight. <laughs> I'm talking a long time, huh? Third thing I want you to see, number three. Changed people tell people. Changed people tell people. So interesting. If, if, if you were this demon-possessed man who's just been set free, you would have the same response as he did. Jesus, I want to go with you. I don't want to stay here in Paganville anymore. Those people over there, the last time I got close to them, they chained me up. But I'm set free. I'm different now. I don't want to stay here. You did something for me. No one else could ever do. I want to go with you. Can I come with you, Jesus? In fact, what's the word there? He begged him, can I go with you? You know what Jesus said? Nah, you know what, man? I want you to stay right here. Here's why. Because they don't want me here anymore, Jesus said. But you can stay. I have to go. But you live here. Listen to the words that Jesus says to him. He says, I want you to go back to your own people. Go back to your family. Go back to your friends. Go back to the people who know what you used to be and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell him how much mercy he has given to you. You know, so many of us think, what can I do for God? I'm not a preacher. I'm not a theologian. I'm not good with words. I don't have many skills. I can't sing. What can I do for him? Just tell your story. How much training did this demon-possessed guy have? A friend of mine said he went from madman to missionary like that. It's a powerful thing. When you're changed, your life speaks volumes. Changed people tell people what God has done. One last thing, number four. Our response determines our relationship. Number four, our response determines our relationship. Let me tell you what I mean by that. To me, the most tragic part of this whole story is how it ends. The son of God shows up and you tell him to go home. Their response to what Jesus had done in their lives determined that they would not have a relationship with him. The king of all the earth. And they told him to get back in the boat and go away. Here's what they failed to grasp. That freedom isn't free. Freedom 
isn't free. Now we say that a lot in a patriotic sense. Whenever we, we uh, have the 4th of July or we talk about the military, we talk about wars in the past, we use that line, freedom isn't free. But the reality is freedom in Christ isn't necessarily free either. If you want to come out of the cemetery, it's probably going to cost you your pigs. It's probably going to be a place where there's something that you're going to have to be willing to walk away from if you want to find the freedom that only Christ can bring. So many people will say, I want deliverance. I want Jesus to set me free. I want Jesus to help me. I want to come out of the captivity that I'm in. But then we keep running back and we want to stay friendly with our captors. We keep going back to our fear or our lust or our jealousy or our unforgiveness or that substance or our anger. Whatever that thing is, we say we want to be set free, but we don't really want to see the pigs go over the cliff. Does that make sense? Jesus said that if you're going to follow me, You have to leave those things behind. You have to trust me. For many of us, we want to entertain what Jesus can do for us until we realize that what he said was take up your cross and follow me. It'll cost you everything. And some of those things that you held so dear, you're going to have to leave leave them behind. Freedom isn't free. And for whatever reason, These last few weeks, as we've been wrapping up this series, God keeps bringing us back to these these two opposite terms. And you see it here once again in this passage that fear stops faith. Fear stops faith. The people walked up. They saw Jesus there with this demon-possessed guy. What was their first response? Their first response was this. They were afraid. They were freaked out. Because there was a power that just happened there that they couldn't control. They were used to the demoniac. But this thing that just happened, not only did it cost them something, but they didn't understand it. They had the Son of God on their shores. And they totally missed it because of fear. Here's why. And, and, and I really think that for some of you, you've got to grasp this. Fear mistakes gain for loss. Fear mistakes gain for loss. Get this, for, for years, they couldn't pass that way because there was a madman. There was a crazy man that was there. You know what Jesus did? Jesus just freed the way. They didn't have to be fearful anymore when they walked that way because he had set them free. They didn't have to hear him scream and cry out in the middle of the night. They didn't have to explain to their children anymore what was wrong with that man. That terror that had been over their region, it wasn't there anymore. This was a gain for them. But because of their fear, because they didn't like what they had to give up, instead all they could see was their loss. Where's our pigs? You can't do this to our pigs. Who do you think you are coming? Get out of here. Because instead of seeing what they'd gain, instead, all they could focus on was their loss. And here's why. Because fear keeps me comfortable with the familiar. When I let fear come in, fear keeps me comfortable with the things that are familiar to me. They would have rather had a demoniac they knew than a healing power that they could not understand. They were more comfortable with an evil spirit because they were familiar with it. I've shared this before about my, my Aunt Ruth. There were, there were times when uh, she since passed away and gone to heaven, but there's times when she'd been sick. And I remember several occasions just saying, well, Aunt Ruth, you're not feeling good. What did the doctor tell you? She said, I didn't go to the doctor. Well, when are you going to the doctor? I'm not going to the doctor. 
Well, you don't feel good. Why don't you go to the doctor? Because he'll probably tell me something's wrong with me. That's the point. The reason you don't feel good is because something's wrong with you. But she didn't want to know something was wrong with her. You know why? Because then she'd have to do something about it. Her fear kept her comfortable with what was familiar. And I'd rather stay the same, even if that same is unhealthy and crazy and evil and chaos, I would rather stay the same than risk having some kind of change to my life. That's why, truthfully, we become enslaved by our habits, our fears, our traditions, our sins, for many of us, our bitterness, our anger, our unforgiveness, they're familiar spirits to us. The devil has plenty of ways to influence us. But for many of us, he doesn't have to turn us into a madman to have the opportunity to put us in a place where he can destroy us. Part of why we don't see possession so much is because he can destroy us without us even batting an eye at it through the things that we'll make way for in our lives. Just like the people in this story, sometimes the thing that is stronger than the power of a demoniac is the power of a hard heart, which just shows us this. Fear robs me of the blessings of God. Fear robs me of the blessings of God. What if, what if instead of sending Jesus away, they would have been willing to have said, tell us more. Do you know how many more people would have been healed? Do you know how many more people were probably possessed by devils in that region and Jesus could have set them free? There were homes that would have been different. There would have been children whose lives might have gone a different direction. There would have been hope and peace, probably even prosperity that would have come to that region. But instead, the only one that could bring them help, they said, get back in your boat and get out of here. We don't like your kind around here. And they pushed him away. What if instead of pushing him away, they had opened up their hearts to him? This whole story would have been different. And the truth is, it's not that different today. See, so many times we think that the way that the devil works is to come in loud and aggressive with destruction and evil and fear. And that is one of his tricks. But one of the devil's greatest tricks is not getting you to invite the devil in. It's convincing you to keep Jesus out of that area of your life. It's not so much that you're inviting the devil in. You're just keeping Jesus out. You know the difference he could make? Yeah, it might cost you some pigs, but you're not going to live in a cemetery anymore. But so many times, we're not willing to open up that part of our life or that thing to him. And instead, we keep pushing him out. And you know what he gets? He gets exactly what he wants. It brings destruction to you and to your soul and to your home and to your family. He gets in that area. And that's all he really wants to do. It's not so much that you sat with a Ouija board and said, come on in. It's instead, you just said, Jesus... Not now, not here, not that. Really, if you, if you wanna destroy a house, there's probably two ways to do it. One is to bring in a wrecking crew, bring the bulldozer, sledgehammers, wrecking ball, and have that thing down in no time. But if all you're really interested in just bringing destruction to the house, and you got plenty of time, just leave it alone, just close it up. Don't let anybody come around. And over time, destruction will come. Weeds will start growing. 
Foundation will start to shift. Pipes will freeze. Roof will leak. Vandals will probably even show up. It's not fast, but it's effective. In fact, sometimes it can happen so slowly over time that we don't even realize what it's cost us. See, the devil's greatest trick isn't to come at you loud and aggressive. Oftentimes, it's just to come at you slow and methodical. And if he can just keep Jesus out of that part of your life, he wins. He gets his purpose. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Because that'll make all the difference in your relationship. My, my greatest fear is that those of you in this room or an auditorium too or watching on a screen somewhere we just kind of close this up today and say, yeah, it's interesting about those demons. And never realize that Jesus is speaking to your heart about what he wants to do in your life. Will you let him stay? Or are you going to ask him to go? Because it'll make all the difference in the world. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I want to encourage you to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. God, what are you speaking to my heart today? What is it that you want me to hear today? For some of you, you've been skating through life, never giving a thought to the fact that you have an enemy who wants to destroy you. And God's calling out to you to have some discernment. Just hear, I love you. It's not good for you. It's time for you to resist the devil. Scripture says he'll flee from you. Some of you, it's time for you to take your fear and hand it over to the one who has power over all of nature and all of that which is supernatural as well. Some of you, you'll walk out of here today and and God's speaking to you about the fact that changed people tell people. And God's put in your heart exactly what he wants you to do. But I just felt in my spirit that the question for all of us is what are you going to do with Jesus? For some of us, it's in that one part of our life, that thing we've been holding on to. And if the devil can have his way, It'll be slow, it'll just be over time. But as long as he can keep Jesus out of that corner of your life, destruction will come. He's just got to keep you telling Jesus to get in the boat. And today the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart about saying, God, I open up my heart. I want your freedom and your power. I give it all to you. In fact, it may be that you're here this morning and today you know that you're not right with God. There's this, there's this emptiness in your heart and, and you, you can feel it. Today as we've talked about God's grace, as we've talked about his mercy, as we've talked about his forgiveness, you know that there's, there's this feeling inside that's saying, I need that, I want that, that's, that's what I have to have. The Bible says that Jesus died on a cross for your sins and that and the third day he rose again so that you could have life and that if we will simply call on the name of the Lord 
his salvation. It means his forgiveness and his hope and the promise that you have a future in him. It's yours. If you'll open up your heart and literally say, God, I give you my life. If you're here today and you'd say, Chad, today I need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart about starting that relationship again. But if you'd say today I need to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Wherever you are. This room, auditorium two. You're watching on a screen somewhere. Go ahead. Just before God, just raise your hand. God, today I need to begin or begin again a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks. You can raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Thanks, God. If you raise your hand or if you know today that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, change my life. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name.